Welcome to season two of Hashing Out the Law, the podcast where we discuss and hash out legal issues on our topics. I'm very excited to be back and have some amazing guests lined up for you. We're going to start off the season with guest Ken Good. He and I will be discussing bail reform, which has taken the country by storm lately. Ken is a Texas attorney and a member of the Professional Bondmen of Texas. He has worked closely with lawmakers and other individuals on bail matters, and today he will offer his perspective on what the recent statement by the Pretrial Justice Institute means. Specifically, he will address why the success of bail reform hinged on the use of risk assessment and what lies ahead now that the tolls have been discredited. I'm very excited to, to have uh, Ken Good on, on this episode. Um, we're, we're doing season two. Uh, and, and Ken is from Texas. He is uh, a bail um, a, a bail expert. <laughs> and correct me if I'm wrong, Ken, is that the right term, bail expert? Yes, yes. I've, I've written a book, uh, a practice guide about bail in Texas, and uh, just for practitioners, uh, prosecutors, uh, bondsmen, attorneys, and courts. Right. And the name of your book is Goods on Bail, correct? Yes, sir. Okay. So, Ken, um, the reason I wanted to have you on, and I, I believe the reason you wanted to be on, is to discuss uh, this this national trend that's happening where some states have already done it and some states are wanting to abolish bail, and they want to go into this uh, risk assess- assessment tool where the courts will decide who gets out and who doesn't. And one of the main reasons that this movement is happening is because they're saying that bail is not fair uh, to people who are who are poor and who can't afford it. Um, so could you give the, the listeners a little background how, how this movement uh, took off and, and it's now becoming a national trend? Yes. I mean, it's been uh, incredible uh, last few years. I will say that the last year has not been kind to the whole risk uh, assessment movement. But I, I would say I, I do agree that the changes that were advocated were based upon um, arguments that the uh, people who were claiming poverty were not being treated fairly. And I think that really puts the cart before the horse because I think, you know, the issue that is facing our largest counties across the country is how do we process large numbers of people through the jail quickly and cost effectively and as a byproduct of that, we have to make sure that we don't take advantage of the poor or forget about them or anything like that. Well, I think that uh, may be well intended that these people who have been pushing these things, uh, risk assessment tools, have have been focusing on a byproduct of the issue, and as a result, they've been they haven't set up any procedures or mechanisms that uh, go to the bigger issue of how our biggest states and uh, our biggest metropolitan areas process large numbers of people who. Through, jail, through the jail quickly, and and that's what we're uh, seeing. That's why we're seeing chaos and increased crime across the country where, where these things have been attempted. Right, and I, I've been following this closely actually because here in California, where I am, um, this the, the California legislation passed a, a bill that would do exactly what you talked about. However. Uh, California is a little bit different. If enough people get a measurement on the ballot, then that, you know, it goes to the vote of the people. And that's what exactly happened. Uh, there was enough 
about there was enough signatures to get a to get a measurement on the ballot, which is going to be voted in November. So the law that was passed by the legislator was stayed until the election. Um, if in November the voters vote against it or vote for it, it will determine whether we're going to have it or not in California. Um, and one of the things that I I see is such states as like New York and New Jersey, and specifically New York, they already abolished bill. They're running into these problems where you just said, in, in theory, it's a good intention, but now it's turning into uh, a, a, I don't want to say disaster, but uh, unforeseen um, problems for them. Could you give us some examples how 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 these this good intention has turned into a rise in crime and and things like that, the problems that occurred with it when they put it in practice? Well, I think to to understand that, we kind of have to get a little bit of history, and I don't want to spend too much time on it, but we have uh, several groups like the MacArthur Foundation that was advocating for a decade uh, that uh, jurisdictions should do criminal justice reform, and and they uh, spent, you know, $200 million in grants uh, to 54 or more jurisdictions uh, uh, where they agreed to implement uh, criminal justice reform, including uh, adoption of a risk assessment tool. The risk assessment tool um, w- was supposed to be the gold standard. It, it's, it's supposed to be an automated tool. It's supposed to tell you whether someone is at risk of flight or a risk to reoffend, and you will get a score. And if the score is low, then then under this the model that this uh, uh, of the risk assessment, then you, you're just to be released. And if you have a high score, then you should just be detained. Uh, the problems that we've seen in practice, uh, before we get to the science, is that uh, there's a lot of, uh, of errors on the uh, risk assessment. So, you know, in most jurisdictions, they don't have a central database for criminal histories, and they can't tie them to this app. So they have to enter them manually or they have to get a history of the criminal uh, the criminal history from the defendant and if there's errors in inputting the uh the his- criminal history then there's going to be an error in the score and a lot of times the, the score will come back lower than it should because they don't consider uh he was arrested for three offenses but he hasn't been uh, found guilty on them so we can't consider those in and uh determining whether he's a flight risk or whether he's at a risk to commit another crime but but the problem with these well intentioned uh, is that you know there was a little bit of an arrogance about them because they decided they knew a better way they developed this tool it never was tested but they told everybody it was tested it was verifiable and it, and the problem is since its implementation especially in the last year uh, all those studies have now been done and they are all of the same conclusion that risk assessments should not and cannot be used as a part of criminal justice reform. In fact, the largest, uh, 50 of the largest uh, artificial intelligence companies like Google, uh, Facebook, uh, uh, Apple, IBM, and so on and so on and so on, signed uh, a letter uh, and saying that risk assessments should not be used as a part of criminal justice reform. And many of these advocates, like the MacArthur Foundation, the, uh, and then like the Pretrial Justice Institute, uh, that was the one pushing for New York, I mean, I mean, New Jersey to adopt uh, risk assessment, have now come out 
and completely reverse course. I mean, the uh, pre-child justice institute just came out this month, just a couple of weeks ago, saying we were wrong. Right, we, right. We on no February, longer on February seventh. Right. Yes. On February seventh, they came out and they said, and, and I'm quoting this: "We heard, but did not fully appreciate the opposition to pre-trial risk assessment tools from civil rights organizations, impacted people, and researchers." And and I think that that caught me by surprise. I think it caught everybody else by surprise. Where these people who are advocating so hard for it are coming out and now saying, "Well, maybe we made a mistake." Yeah, that, that's true. It is a surprise that they all came out and they all came out this late. But what's not a surprise is if you look at a history of the studies, there are footprints of of bells being rung dating back to 2015, showing that you got to be careful with these things. And all the way, you know, 2017, 2018. In fact, the Pre-Child Justice Institute says that we realize that questions have been raised about these things for the last three years. And we just didn't fully understand, and I guess until Apple and Google came out saying they shouldn't do it anymore, and now they're they're acknowledging as of the seventh of this month that they that criminal justice reform cannot include uh, pretrial risk assessments. But where does that leave places like New Jersey that amended their constitution and have implemented these reforms? Where where the pretrial justice institute now says New Jersey is an example of failed reforms reform that they suggest uh, they advocated them to implement. What about California? They're voting on the ballot whether to implement reforms that the research now say should not be a part of criminal justice reform. I mean, well-intentioned, but the arrogance of, of what they were pushing for without the studies to back them up because they just assumed that that they were valid tools and that they knew better and they didn't have to have all that. And time has not been good for them. They've spent two hundred million pushing people to do it, and now, what? Where does that leave these jurisdictions that have had this crime increase, like in New York, where where a gentleman has been quoted on the news in the last couple of weeks saying, "I've been arrested one hundred thirty nine times. It's now over one hundred forty." Right. And I think bail reform is great. I I take three hundred, four hundred dollars of your money every day, and you can't stop me. I was actually just going to bring that up. I have that uh, that that story up in front of me. The guy's name is Charles Berry. He's been arrested 139 times. Uh, uh, to be fair, some of these arrests were before this bail reform. But he quoted saying, "Bail reform," and I'm quoting him: "Bail reform is lit." <laughs> and, he, and he's thanking the politicians because he gets arrested uh, for small-time crimes, like he's taking people's uh, metro cards in New York, and he's released, and he goes back and does it again, and it, it, he, he, he loves it. Um, now, this leads me to my next question. So some of these stories, I, I know people, uh, the bail bond people in, in my state and in my city that mention these stories to, to show, look, on November, don't vote for this. We'll vote for this not to go into effect because this is – results you're going to get and they get attacked by some other people saying you're just using scare tactics uh you you just want to you know you don't want you don't want to lose your business and you're just trying to scare people bail uh, bail reform is needed bail is is not fair to poor people Uh, what do you say or how how would you respond to those people that are saying these stories that you're coming with are are just scare tactics and you're trying to scare people well you know we've had several um uh 
instances of that, and I think it's going to grow that uh, grow that. I, I, you know, we're going to see more of it. I mean, the problem we have is that the uh, reform movement has become uh, so political. Uh, if you're on one particular side, you have to take a certain position, and we're in a period of time, and maybe we're just catching up with the science. But we're just in a period of time where it's almost uh, if you're on one in one party or the other, that determines what your position on bail reform should be currently. I, but I, I don't think that's going to last much longer because if you think about it, if if the science says risk assessments cannot be used or should not be used, and that they're no they have no benefit and they also have racial issues, then that's the cornerstone of their reform. I mean, what are they advocating for that is better than the private surety bail system that's been in place for 200 years? You know, the case law says we just – what the courts have to do is set up procedures to ensure that people claiming poverty have an opportunity to ask for a, a reduction in bail within 48 hours of arrest. Uh, I know people say that's not fair if they have to wait 48 hours, but – but if you think – if the problem is how do we process large groups of people through the jail quickly and efficiently and ensure that they're not taken advantage of, well, that's a different analysis. The 11th Circuit has addressed it that way, and they said, while they may not get out at the same time, and that may seem fair initially, when they get to the court, they receive a special – or they are then in a special status. And they give special consideration that everyone else doesn't get because of their claim, because they're claiming that they don't have the ability to pay. And they said, and the court concluded that satisfied the constitutional requirement. If, if anything else, I mean, the only other thing they have to advocate other than just a risk assessment is just release people. That's the New York model where they're, the courts are precluded on certain offenses from requiring bail. And they have to release them without bond. That's the Harris County model where certain offenses, they're just given a $100 PR bond and they never see a magistrate. Those systems are just complete failures and uh, causing all accountability to go away, crime to go up, uh, chaos. I mean, like in Harris County, the the numbers of pending cases, this, this is statistics from the DA's office. The numbers of pending cases in the last year and a half have doubled. Now, a criminal justice system that's doubling their caseloads because they're no one's showing up for court is not a criminal justice system that's going to survive very long. Right. Yeah, it, it, it's it's mind-boggling. Uh, so that that leads me to my other questions that I have. So now in Harris County and all these jurisdictions that have already uh, implemented this. And you said yourself, New Jersey has amended their constitution. And now the people who are advocating it are reversing their position. What do these jurisdictions do or what can they do? Well, it's very interesting because, you know, even my state, Texas, you know, there has been a bill filed in the last two legislative sessions to adopt a statewide risk assessment tool. And it's failed both times. And there's even the request to our the resolution to amend the Constitution's fail. But in the meantime, our Office of Court Administration has developed their own risk assessment tool. So they spent a lot of money developing their own tool. 
And so even with all these studies going out, you know, our JPs in Texas were just at school last week or the week before, and they're getting training on how to use a risk, you know, praise text, the OCA risk assessment tool, which is patterned after the uh, McCar- uh, uh, the Arnold Foundation's tool. And so uh, we have to have some time for people's mindsets to catch up with the science because it's just happening it's so quickly. I mean, it's just two weeks ago that it's like the floor fell out from under everybody. And it's hard sometimes for elected officials that have spent large sums of money to develop something to give it up and say, okay, it's, we shouldn't go down this road. And so we, we have a lot of education to do. And what, so what do they do? Well, I think we have to look to history and say, what are the forms of release that have worked historically? I mean, re- just releasing everybody doesn't work. Uh, you can't detain everybody. That, the push for this is uh, jail overcrowding. And so if the risk assessment tool doesn't work, then that leaves two things. That leaves individual magistration or individual magistration coupled with a reasonable bail schedule. And if you use a bail schedule, you have to have an opportunity within 48 hours of arrest for some, if somebody's coming from poverty to ask a court for a deviation. That's what the Fifth Circuit and the Eleventh Circuit said was needed to comply with the federal constitution. And so I think, I mean, since they don't have anything that they're arguing for but just release or use a risk assessment tool, which science says, and they concede science says you couldn't use it, that just leaves you with historically what we what has worked. And, and in many of these jurisdictions, they've now spent how much money? New Jersey, they don't even, they have a shortfall. They had to implement a, uh, an, a property tax increase just to pay for bail reform. They, uh, all the money that's been spent to go around into a full circle to get right where they started because it was a better system than they implemented at the request and push of all these groups. It, it's, it's a terrible situation. I agree. But let me ask you this, Ken. You, you, and you touched upon this before. This issue has become so political. Now, do you think that people will put aside their political differences and their political uh, opinions to uh, revert back to the old system or to admit that the, the system they're, they're uh, proposing is, is not going to work? Or are they going to stick by political and political uh, lines and, and stick to their position even if they're wrong? How do you think that's going to play out? You know, I have, I'm always hopeful, and, you know, I think we have to start with what is our goal in, in uh, bail reform. You know, we have to agree that we don't – first, we don't want to do any harm. We want to make the system better. And if we can all agree on a set of goals to move forward and we agree that what was being advocated by all these groups is not available, well, then we only have certain things left, and so we have few options. Uh, the problem – the reason why I'm hopeful is because these reforms are causing chaos on such a uh, quick turnaround. Like New York just implemented the reforms last month. Uh, I mean, and they all agree they're not working. They just disagree on how to fix it. The problem in Harris County is the judges are still won't even agree that the reforms are not working. They'll say they are, even though the judge, uh, the law enforcement and uh, and many other groups say that they're not. But I, I had a county recently that was talking about implementing uh, 
the Harris County model, as they called it. And so, you know, I I sent them a four-part series on here's the things that you need to know. Here's what successful bail reform looks like. And I was shocked, you know, really, I was surprised by the uh, reception of it. They were very open. Uh, I received phone calls from um, the person that was even drafting their proposal and what they were going to do and said they reviewed it. They were making changes as a result of of, of the things that I put in my four-part series to them, and they were very appreciative. And I think that's the majority of people, and if we can just agree to work to make the system better, I mean – I mean, it doesn't seem illogical to me, or, or it just seems illogical to me. If I, if my daughter got arrested, and she had a 400% better chance of showing up for court if she's on a surety bond than if she's on a PR bond. I sure don't want her on a PR bond because I want her to get through a case and get it resolved. That's where we are in Harris County right now. And But they're setting up a system where people – are required to get PR bonds for certain offenses, and then they have no accountability. There's no punishment. There's no consequences if they don't show up for court. And so it's just a vicious cycle where we have dockets, where we have 50 people not show up for court on a docket. And it's just – and the reason why I have hope, it can't – it's not sustainable. It will continue to spiral out of control. And so they can – I mean, they're in denial – but the system right. can't survive them being in denial for very long. Right. And, and it brings me to, to California. So in California, I don't know if you're aware, I'm in L.A. County in Los Angeles, and the Los Angeles Sheriff's Department is the largest law enforcement department in the free world, which makes the Los Angeles County jail system the largest jail system in the free world, meaning that they have the most population of inmates coming in and out of county jail anywhere else in the free world. Um, so that's a tremendous number of people. Um, if this gets passed in California, I think it's going to be Harris County, but 100 times over. And yeah. um, I, yeah, I, I, I don't know if that's what's going to take for everybody else to see that this is not going to work or, or – I, I, if it doesn't pass, then it doesn't pass. But I think California is going to be the turning point in this. And I might be wrong. You're the expert, not me. Because the size of, of people coming in and out of the, the court system in California is so huge that only on, on that level and on that um, magnitude can the effects of this reform be actually seen. So um, what are your thoughts about that? Well, I know that y'all have many difficult difficulties facing you in California. I know that they have uh, reduced a bunch of felony crimes down to misdemeanor crimes, and, and right. then if and so that you know under this type of system, you know most of the misdemeanor crimes that would not get would just get released or just get a PR bond, and that uh, would compound that problem even more. I, I'm hopeful that the New York situation is the turning point. I mean, I've had several people tell me that they they think New York may actually save bail, uh, the private surety bail system across the United States because it has been such a failure. I, I think without New York, I don't. I think it would be very difficult for 
the referendum to fail or or to pass or or the referendum to uh, for the changes to uh to, to confirm the changes i think it'd be difficult for that not to be uh, the changes to be uh, uh to be uh turned away but for new york and i think new york with that happening um there's a lot of time between now and november and i think that uh i think i think that i'm very hopeful i know that uh, there are people working very hard, um, and I, if I, you know, if if any elected official was, you know, listening to us, you know, I would say, look, educate yourself, learn from the mistakes of these other counties and states. I mean, Alaska enacted some of these reforms, found they didn't work, and repealed them. There's nothing wrong with saying we were wrong, but if you're if if this if the lessons from these other jurisdictions is you're going to cause public safety issues and you're going to have increased crime, I mean, those will have long-term in, uh, impacts on on your community that you can stop by just saying, "Hey, we were wrong," and we and and we we now know it because science has caught up with us, and maybe we were misled by some of our friends, or maybe they were naive. But there's nothing wrong with saying, hey, you know, we need to take a step back. And and I don't think it's, there's a question about whether California should take a step back because I don't think anybody that advocated for those that type of system is still doing so. And even the elected I, officials, when it was passed, said they had grave concerns about it, but it passed anyway. Right. I, I hope you really are, are right, and I hope California voters get out there and prevent that from happening here. Um, but I, I'm, I'm interested to see what happens in California in November because our justice system, like you said, with Prop 47, which reduced lots of crimes and all these other uh, things that have happened in our justice system, has drastically changed um, California, and this will be another thing that, that will have long-term effects, um, whether it passes or not. Um, well, let, me, let me just add to that. Let me add to that. Ahead. You know, the, what I would say is, you know, there's a lot of social ills in this world, you know, especially in a place like L.A., like a place like Harris County. You know, schools are failing, inner-city crimes going up, drug abuse is rising, dropout rates, families failing, and lost opportunity. And And those need to be addressed. But I just wonder if bail reform – is the proper place to address those social ills. Isn't it kind of late? Shouldn't we have been addressing those a long time? I mean, all bail is you'll come to court. I mean, right. uh, that's all bail does is promises you will come to court when requested by the by the court. And so I don't know. I, I just don't believe that bail reform is the proper place to address those social ills. And our criminal justice system cannot function if people don't show up for court. And if we give them a free pass after free pass after free pass, and they don't, and they do more of that, then our system is just going to uh, fall apart and can't function. And and we we don't need that, especially in LA. I agree with you. I agree. In a way, I think some of these reforms that are introduced by by the politicians are, are not uh, really reforms, but they're just a way of placating to the masses of saying, "Look, we're trying to." We're, we're, we're on your side. We're trying to uh, reform this stuff. But I think at the same time, they're just trying to save their state money and, and, and themselves. Um, 
It's a whole different issue. Some of the stuff that California has done is because the federal government has told them your prisons are overcrowded, you need to reduce them. So they abolished the parole, they reduced some things. And I think this is just a byproduct of that. Um, but I hope, I hope we both are wrong and I hope California, um, does not pass this and does not implement this. If it does, then, um, I, I, I want to have you back on it and talk about how uh, we can reverse it. But it, it's very interesting conversation, Ken. I, I really appreciate your knowledge and, and you being a guest and talking about this bail reform. Um, it's a very hot issue, actually, in the California justice system right now, uh, leading up to the elections this year. So it was a pleasure having you on. Um, if you don't mind, after we're done, if you can hang on, I want to talk to you off air for sure. a second. But so before we do that, anything else you'd like to add or anything else you'd like to say? Uh, what I would add is that in Texas, we were told that the faces of bail reform were like the grandmas who were being stuck in jail and couldn't afford to get out. And the reality has shown us that the faces of bail reform are, in many situations, either low-level career criminals or very dangerous people. I mean, there's an example of a, 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 a wife who's pregnant getting killed by her husband after he's been released on at least two PR bonds and a protective order was entered in her favor uh, to, to protect her. And he got out and went and killed her. And, and that's the new face of bail reform. It's not the grandmas that are stuck in jail. It's these career criminals. And it's the people like the, um, Mr. Barry in New York that's the faces of, of criminal justice reform if 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 we continue down that path, and that will be a tragedy. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Ken. It was certainly a pleasure. I, I, I wish you well, and I hope to uh, talk to you later on in, in a future episode. Thank you, sir.